Everybody should have a dent now where the book of Colossians is. <laughs> if you'll turn to the third chapter, I'm going to read just verses 12 through 15. Verses 12 through 15. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave, you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we come to you and we count it a privilege to be able to look into your word because your word is truth and your word not only brings us to yourself but it sanctifies us and works in us and so I just pray that as we study together you will by the Holy Spirit teach me what to speak and help us all to understand with the ability from the grace of God to apply the truths to our lives Thank you that your word works and is still quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Glorify your name in the teaching of your word this morning. I pray in Jesus' name and to his glory. Amen. <clears throat> Just remind you where we've been in the book of Colossians. Uh, uh, we started off, I started off by pointing out there are 15 commands in this uh, chapter and that uh, obedience to commands are relational. That is, by that I mean we have to have a relationship with Christ if we are going to be obedient. In, in the uh, 15th or 14th chapter of John in the 15th verse, Jesus says, if you keep on loving me, you will obey me. And there's a great connection in our relationship with Jesus Christ to our obedience. I'm going to say something and I'll clarify it in a minute, but <clears throat> it doesn't matter how sound your doctrine is, if you don't have love, it means absolutely nothing. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have sound doctrine because we do need sound doctrine. But sound doctrine without love leaves us in the same problem that was in the church at Ephesus. 
It says in the book of Revelation that they lost their first love. And that God might just encourage our hearts to love him in this whole chapter. As, as I was preparing this message for today, uh, I was reading to it and saying, my, this is interesting how this matches with what Pastor Tony's been teaching in 1 Corinthians 13. How God's word always fits together. And I thought, well, maybe that's just my imagination. And I was looking through for a verb description in A.T. Robertson, the Greek scholar. And he says, this is a reflection of 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> so I felt, well, <laughs> it wasn't just me anyway. So, uh, But this whole business of uh, our, our love for God and his love in us making us love him then we looked at <clears throat> the first point was to find our fellowship with Christ in verse 1 and uh, again this was a relational concept he says because you have been raised together with Christ keep seeking Christ in other words if you're a child of God get on the ball and seek Jesus Christ Get after him. Get to know him. And uh, he says, seek him in all his majesty. He said, seek him where he is seated on his throne. And he's seated there as our prophet, priest, and king. And then this second command is fix your focus properly. And we find that <coughs> in verses 2 to 4. And uh, again... This is relational, but he says, set your affection or have a mindset on things above, on things above, not on things of the earth. And he doesn't mean don't go to work in the morning and uh, don't bother doing the dishes and uh, all that kind of stuff. But what he's saying is your focus in life should be on the things that we're headed for, the things we're going to the things above and he says uh, all of this is possible because we have died together with Christ in other words in before we knew Christ our love was with the things of the world now that we've come to know Christ our love is eternal things the things above and so it, it's vital it's relational again and then the third command we found in verses 5 through 7 it's flee formals former sins flee former sins and uh, verse 5 starts with the uh, <coughs> word therefore and uh, as you've heard probably many times therefore is therefore for a reason and uh, he's He's referring to what the first two commands have said and our obedience to them. And he says, therefore, because this is true, this is true in your life, he says, flee what you used to be and live now as a child of God. We leave those things behind. We leave the things of the world behind. We leave its language. We leave its uh, uh, 
mentality, it, the way it operates. And uh, one of the things that we are losing in the church today is leaving behind the things of the world. And we're rather scraping them in and making them part of the church. And the church is in the process, therefore, of dying. And then the, the fourth command is forsake the following in verse 8. And he gives us a list of things that we are to turn away from and leave behind. And uh, one of them, I think, is uh, uh, one that most of us always deal with, and that's anger. <laughs> I won't ask you, how many of you have never been angry? <laughs> uh, I don't see any hands anyway, so it's okay. Uh, but uh, uh, we we have to... Put off, put off all those things. And then in the next command we find in ver verses 9 through 11 is free yourself from a foul tongue. Free yourself from a foul tongue. And, uh, uh, you know, James tells us, and it's very interesting, that uh, our, our tongue can kindle a world of fire. And we can cause a lot of trouble with our tongue. And so we have to have our tongue under the control of the Spirit so that as we walk in the Spirit, we will speak those things which come from the Holy Spirit. Now, this morning we're going to look at the sixth command and maybe the seventh, uh, uh, but uh, uh, we're going to look at the sixth for sure. And uh, they're in verses uh, 12 through 15 and uh, the title I've given it is the formal frocks of yours the formal frocks of yours how many of you know what a frock is yeah we got a few people actually the definition of a frock is a flowing garment that's why I use the word, uh, because he's talking about here in this section about the garment that we have been given to us. And uh, the reason I, I, I call it formal is because what we have been given has been given to us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And therefore, it is that in which we stand so we can stand before our holy God. We stand before our holy God and we need this formal garment to be able to stand before our holy God. And then there's the other side of it and we'll see it more emphasized as we go through this section. But there has to be a wearing of that formal garment when we have fellowship with one another and work together. Because all the righteousness of Christ has to be worked out in our lives so that as we touch each other, we will be the kind of people <coughs> God wants us to be. So, we have here uh, in this chapter, uh, first of all, a command to follow. Just two words. Command to follow. Put on. Put on. Now, 
uh, it sounds pretty simple, uh, but the term is basically used for putting on a garment or putting on uh, like the over, uh, I, I hate to use the word overcoat, <laughs> the overgarment of, uh, uh, that they used to wear on top of their uh, underclothes. And so he's talking about putting on this garment. And you will see that uh, he changes from verse 10 where he talks about putting on the new man. And now he's talking about putting on this garment. And he uses the picture of a garment as to what this new man looks like. How does this new man look that we're supposed to be putting on? And uh, uh, just uh, one thing that uh, I think it's important here for us to grasp, and that the verb he uses expresses our responsibility. It expresses our responsibility. God has given us the garment in Jesus Christ, but am I wearing it? Am I wearing it? And so he said, put it on. Put it on. Make sure you got it on. And that's vital and important for us as we walk as Christians. It's our responsibility to, by the grace of God, allow the Spirit of God through the Word of God to develop the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we'll see how this is all worked out in the passage as he comes. So, there's a command to follow. Second thing we see here is the foundation for following the command. The foundation for following the command. Notice what it says. It says, therefore... And uh, the therefore here is not looking back, but it's looking for what he's going to say. For this reason, as the elect of God, that's, that's the foundation that's given to us for following his command. We can put on what we're putting on because we are the chosen of God. We are the elect of God. And only the chosen and the elect of God can put on this garment. And, and let me just say this, because there are people who like to make themselves look like Christians, but they're not. And they are not wearing this garment because you will see as we go through, there are things in this garment, in the fabric of this garment, that only believers can have. And so, it's vital and important. Now, that's our position, our provision, excuse me, our provision. In the manner of the chosen of God. We operate in the manner of the chosen of God. We live as the people who are chosen of God. And everything in our lives should reflect the fact of our chosenness. 
Because I'm chosen, I should be living a certain way. And so he says, uh, your life should demonstrate your chosenness. Your life should demonstrate your chosenness. And so everything we're going to look at that follows only applies to the chosen. That's our provision. Chosen by God. And by the way, just notice that we didn't choose God. God chose us. And that's vital to understand. Because he says that we were chosen of God. We were chosen of God or by God. <clears throat> so that's our provision. Now our position and there are two things in our position he talks about. First, he says, we are holy. We are holy. The word means really set apart. We are set apart. And God, by choosing us, has set apart, set us apart for himself. And if you remember reading through the Old Testament, God says that he chose Israel and set them apart. And that's what he's done for us. Only he's given us the blessing of redemption that they never had. You see? And he has set us apart for himself. <clears throat> and uh, uh, therefore, because of that, we should be a distinct and different people. We should be different than the rest of the world. Because God has chosen us and set us apart. And by the way, that's an adjective in there. So it describes what we are. We are set apart people. And it's very important. <clears throat> and uh, uh, then he tells us uh, uh, next here that we are beloved. We are beloved. And that word beloved probably, and the word I like to use is probably another definition in the original is esteemed. We are esteemed by God. God looks at us and he says, wow, there, there's something special. Why does God see us as, you, you might not feel that most of the time, but, but that's true. God sees us as something special because he sees us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you see. He doesn't see us as we see ourselves, but he sees us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's why we are esteemed. Now, the verb here is very interesting because it indicates something to us that happened in the past and is affecting us today. It happened in the past and it's affecting us today. And uh, the question is, what does it mean that we were esteemed in the past? What does it mean that we were esteemed in the past? And what, what we find in the scripture is that we were esteemed before this world ever began. God looked at us and esteemed us. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4... <coughs> It says, according as he hath chosen us, that is, he, he looked at us and he gave us this esteem before the foundation of the world. In other words, in the past, God esteemed us and he had chosen us and we had been 
put aside before this world was ever created. Why? In order that we should be holy, set apart, and without blame before him in love. You notice how beautifully it's all wrapped up in love again. And it's a beautiful picture. And so it, it's, it affected us in the past, but it's affecting us today by the fact that Christ came and he was born and he lived and died and rose again. And uh, I, I hear a lot of these people say, well, we as Christians shouldn't be uh, celebrating Christmas, you know. And uh, I said, boy, if we don't have the incarnation, we don't have anything. Because if Jesus was just a man, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. But he was God and man, and the incarnation was the beginning of all things. And, and therefore, his death and resurrection are vital in that he was God manifest in the flesh. And so, uh, this is a wonderful thing. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 20, Peter says, Who was verily foreordained, that is Christ, before the foundation of the world, but was made known or manifest or revealed in these last times for you. That is, those who are chosen, you see. And uh, uh, in Galatians, Paul puts it this way. He says, when the fullness of time was come, and uh, let me just give you a little, it, it probably can better be said, when the set time was full. God had a, a, a determined time when it was going to happen, and when that time was full, when it was complete, it says God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. You notice, you notice what the whole purpose of Christ's coming is. It's so broad that it takes us into the family of God and makes us children of God. And, and to me, that is, that is a wonderful thing. John says it in his epistle. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. I don't have to wait for that. I have to wait for the fullness of my adoption, the redemption of my body, but I'm a son of God now. You're a son of God now if you're a chosen one of God. And that's the beautiful thing of being a Christian. And uh, so uh, uh, God determined our relationship with him before this earth was ever created. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But it was manifest and affected us through the finished work of Christ. And so we, we have this ongoing effect in our life. And uh, I think we have to challenge, at least I have to challenge myself. Maybe you, you don't have a problem with this, but I have to cha challenge myself that as a chosen one, 
Am I living like an esteemed, holy, set-apart person? Am I living the way that I'm supposed to be living as a child of God? Because this was an eternal plan in the purpose of God that I should be doing that. So that's the foundation for our following the command. The third thing I want to look at in this passage is what I call the fabric of our frock. The fabric of our frock. The rest of verse 12 is made up of five nouns. It's made up of five nouns which define the composition of the garment that has been given to us. It defines the composition of the garment that has been given to us. And if, as we go through, you'll see all these uh, uh, definitions of the fabric of that garment are a divine provision. They're not something we produce. It's something that's produced in us and out of us by God. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. The first, the first part of the fabric is what we call, what's called in, in my text here, tender mercies. Tender mercies. Uh, <clears throat> the idea of that word in the original is compassion from deep down within yourself. Compassion from deep down within yourself. It's, it's something that comes out of you because it was implanted in you. It's not, oh, I feel sorry for you. But it's something that comes from the heart of God that we have compassion. And in this passage, you will see that this, these tender mercies are all related to our relationship with the body of Christ. And I think that's vital and important. And uh, uh, again, compassion or mercy are characteristics of God. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 15, Paul says, For he saith to Moses, that is, God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. See, mercy and compassion are God's business. He does it, and he gives us that compassion and mercy. And uh, it's vital and important that we understand that. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, he says, Finally, be ye all of one mind. That's a, that's a hard one, isn't it? Everybody think alike in here. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> that's what he's saying. Be, be all of one, one mind or one mindset. Having compassion one to the other. That's, that's one mindset we should all have in common. Compassion for each other as believers. We should love each other. And he says, Love as brethren, be pitiful and courteous. And uh, 
Those are things that God uh, works in us. And then in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17, it says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion. In other, in other words, what he's saying is he, he shuts off that deep compassion that God has put into him. It just turns it off. Uh, I'm, I, I, I don't care about him. You know, he's in a mess. Let him, let him enjoy his squalling for a while. You know, uh, uh, he says, uh, if, if you have that idea, he says, how dwelleth the love of God in him? You see, because this compassion is always moved by love, the deep love of God. And we care for others because the love of God motivates us to compare, to uh, have compassion on others. And it's vital and important. Now, let me ask you a question. Because I've said that this has to do with the relationship we have with one another as believers does that mean we shouldn't have compassion for the world we should Christ had compassion for the world his heart was broken over Jerusalem because they would not they would not come to him he had compassion on the people as he saw them around. And we should have compassion, and it should be that compassion that drives us, that comes from deep within to share the gospel and love of Jesus Christ with others in the world. So, uh, uh, let me just say something here, and it'll, it'll come again, but uh, compassion on brothers does not mean we ignore their sins. We deal with them. We deal with them and help them and encourage them and bring them into the things of Christ. So, compassion. The next, tender mercies. The next is kindness. That word kindness in the original has the idea of something useful or profitable. Useful or profitable. And uh, it's um, interesting how God has made us into a family so that we could be useful and profitable to each other. That's what God's purpose is in all of, all of our being together here as the body of Christ. So we can help each other along the road. And it says in Titus chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, But when the kindness and love of God, that is, when the usefulness and profitableness of the love of God, our Savior toward men appeared. When Jesus Christ came, He made us, by His love, useful and profitable people. And... It's a wonderful thing. Uh, uh, when the love of God is working in us, we are useful and profitable to each other. We are beneficial as a body of Christ. 
And then in first, Second Peter chapter 1, verses uh, 5 through 9, it says, But also for this reason, giving all diligence, in other words, you better work at it. You better work at it. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness. In other words, be profitable to your brother. Be profitable to your brother. That's part of what God has given us as uh, Christians. And he says... uh, uh, be profitable to your brothers and to that add love. To that add love. So if I'm going to uh, be kind to you, I have to love you. I have to love you. I have to love you as my brother and my sister in Christ. And so if I love you as my brother and sister in Christ, I'm going to be profitable and useful to you. And let me just put it in the larger scope this brotherly kindness should affect the operation of how we all function within the body of Christ in the church we should be profitable and useful to each other no matter how we have been gifted we should still be profitable and useful to each other so that's the second fabric of the garment The third fabric of the garment is humility. And the word humility again has the idea of lowliness of mind or esteeming ourselves small. Ooh, (laughs) that's that's a hard one, isn't it? Esteeming ourselves small. I think most of us here could probably quote Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And be not conformed unto this world, but be transformed or transfigured by the renewing of your mind, that you might know what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. But what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God? Well, how many of you have verse 3 memorized? <laughs> Most people don't. Uh, uh, th- we are not as, not, not as familiar with it as we are with others. Let me just uh, give you a literal translation because I believe Paul expresses in this verse the concept of esteeming ourselves small. Esteeming ourselves small. He says, Because I'm saying, through the grace that has been given to me, in other words, this isn't my idea, it comes from God, to all existing among you, not to continue considering himself of great importance. Ooh, <laughs> I thought I was important. Yeah. Uh, and he says, uh, as an inevitable mindset. 
And I asked myself the question, why did he put that in there? Why did he put that in there? As an inevitable mindset. What he's saying is that from the flesh, most of us naturally think we're pretty important people. I say most of us. Some of, God, some of us have an inferiority complex of some kind, but we feel inferi inferiority because we think we're better, you know. And, and so, but uh, he says it's, it's an inevitable mindset. He says, to the contrary, have a mindset of a sound mind, of a sound mind in the manner the God has distributed to everyone an allotment or allotted portion of faith. In other words, God gave us faith as a gift, and as a gift we should see ourselves as we really are, and we should understand how small we really are in the whole circumstance of the things. Did you ever wonder what's going to happen when you're gone? Uh, life will go on just like always. And there may be one or two people that will miss you, at least for a while. You know, but uh, you're not as big as you think you are. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that in the economy of God, when we understand the greatness of our salvation and how little we really are, that we appreciate the fact that we aren't as big as we think we are. And that, uh, as the old uh, love song used to say back in the 50s, got along without you before I met you, going to get along without you now. God did quite fine before I came along, and he's going to do quite fine after I'm gone. Uh, he, he's not dependent on me. So uh, it, it's something that... Uh, we only can come to by divine intervention. And then the fourth piece is meekness or mercy. Now, mercy in the original has the idea of uh, a, uh, it's not just a feeling, it's, it's a deep down confidence within you. There's a deep down confidence in you. It's an inward attitude of the soul. You have uh, mercy. And uh, it's, it's kind of pictured like being calm. Calmness towards God. You know, everything, everything's okay because we know who's in control. No problem, you see. And uh, in... Uh, Matthew chapter 11 verses 27 through 30. Here's one of those great verses that has great mis uh, sections that is great misinterpretation. It says, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. And the next phrase is left out and we go, Come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden. But notice what Jesus says. And to 
whomsoever the Son desires to reveal Him. In other words, only those who can, who've had the Son reveal the truth of God to them can come unto Him. So He says, those, those to whom I reveal, come unto Me. Come unto Me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, you're, you're burdened down with your load of sin. Come to Me and I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. Why? Because He wants us to learn of Him because He is meek and lowly in heart. Do you notice the previous and this one are tied together in that two phrases? He is meek. He is meek. That is, He has mercy as we should have as believers. But He is lowly in heart he sees himself as small it says he took upon him the form of a slave and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross and he didn't exalt himself so meekness the fifth is long suffering um, the word often used for long suffering is forbearance uh, I, I remember a pastor preaching and he says, the, our people say, long suffering. And uh, uh, th that's, that's the idea behind the word. It's self-restraint before proceeding to action. Self-restraint before proceeding to action. In other words, don't fly off the handle. Don't fly off the handle. There are two verses I want to quote here, and both are abused often in their interpretation, and I trust by the grace of God I won't do that. Uh, but uh, uh, first is from 1 Timothy 16. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. You know, Paul has said in verse 15 that, you know, all men are sinners, and I'm, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. And it says in verse 16, How be it, for this cause I obtained mercy, mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all, what? Long suffering. Why did he say that? You know, because uh, the word long-suffering, as I said, shows restraint before proceeding to action. And if you remember Paul, he was persecuting the church and he was killing the believers and he was trying to wipe out the name of Jesus Christ. And uh, he says, God restrained himself. He restrained himself. He should have wiped me out, but he didn't. He restrained himself. He restrained himself. And then he acted. He acted in love, changing me. And why did he do this? He says, because, or for a pattern, 
or an example to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. So every believer, every one of us should know, should know that God had a right to wipe us out right in the beginning. But he showed self-restraint and in his mercy, mercy he saved us. Isn't that wonderful? What a, what a great God we have. And then the other verse, and this one is one that is sorely abused, I think, is in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is, what? Long-suffering. He's long-suffering. He doesn't act. He acts with self-restraint to usward or toward us. And you have to understand, he's talking about believers there. He says towards us believers, he, he, he has restrained the judgment, not willing that any should perish or should have been destroyed, but that all, and in the context, it's all of us as believers, should come to repentance. In other words, to the contrary, all of us should have come to repentance. That's why God's long-suffering is, is His restraint of judgment, because He wants us and He has chosen us to come to repentance. You see? And that's the wonderful thing. So, the uh, 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 the material in the frock. And we'll move on to the fourth thing, which I call the force of the frock. The force of the frock. It says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. We got two verbs there, and uh, verbs are always action words. Things that happen either to us or by us. And so, to show the garment has effective force, he uses these two verbs. The first verb deals with restraint. Restraint. Notice bearing with one another. That word bearing means holding back. Holding back. It's like uh, uh, as if uh, somebody said something nasty to me and I wanted to let them have it in the beak, and uh, uh, I, I, I hold myself back, you see. And, and, of course, the holding back is the love of God that holds us back. And uh, uh, we patiently endure uh, when fellow believers do things that either bug us or sin against us, we don't strike out at them. We don't strike out at them. And I think that's important. Uh, uh, in Proverbs chapter uh, 12 and, uh, 10 and verse 12, he says, Love covers all sins, but hatred causes strife. If you're angry with your brother, you're going to cause strife. You're going to cause strife in the body of Christ, and there's going to be real problems. There's going to be real problems. But love puts a blanket over sin. That doesn't mean it forgets them, but it deals with them. It deals with them. 
And uh, it's important for us to understand that. Peter quotes that same uh, verse in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And uh, I think it's important that we understand, we understand what God wants us to do with our brothers. We're going we're go we're to be irritated Oh, you, you never had it, but we, you can get irritated by Christians, you know. Uh, uh, and uh, what, how do we respond? We should, by the grace of God, respond with self-restraint. Now, the second verse deals, a verb, I should say, deals with respect. We have restraint and respect. Forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. That is, to pardon, to graciously overlook a person's sins. And as I said, that's not saying we just ignore them. We deal with them and help them through them. And by the grace of God, trust that they can grow spiritually. But we don't, we don't stand there with a baseball bat and say, Ah, you, you're going to get it. You do that once or more, you know, and you've had it. And uh, but we have respect. You remember Peter said to Jesus, "Should I should I forgive my brother seven times?" And Jesus said, "What? Yeah, now you don't have to do that. Don't worry about it." He says, "No, do it do it four hundred ninety times. In other words, keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it." And uh, I think that uh, if we respect our Christian brothers, we will do that. We will take their sins and we will deal with them in love and in concern. And that's what builds up the body of Christ. I just... Uh, I, I, the verse in Isaiah chapter... Uh, uh, 43 verse 25 God says and their sins I will remember no more have you ever have you ever heard anybody say I forgive you but I can't forget you see the grace of God is that he can forget and if he can help us to forget the sins that others have committed against us. And I think uh, uh, we have to be careful that we don't uh, uh, use, I was going to say, what they did as an instrument. Pastor Tony's hockey stick waiting over the head to give you a, a, a club because you tripped me when I was back there, you know. I, I, I'm waiting, you know. Uh, and uh, I think we have to just ask God to cleanse our minds and hearts, and He can do that, of what people have done to us, so we can forget them. So, we have a command to follow, a foundation for following the command, the fabric of our frock, the force of our frock, and then in this section, finally, uh, the, we get, not finally, there's still another, we get the form to follow. 
If anyone has a complaint, even as Christ forgave you, even as Christ forgave you, Christ forgave us, we should forgive our brothers. And if we can't forgive our brothers, the question is, have we really been forgiven? And how do we do that? Well, if you read John 15, verses 5 and 7 and 8, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you will. God will do it for you. God will do it for you. Why? So that God can be glorified. And then, I'll finish with this. It's what I call the finishing fabric. The finishing fabric and we find that in verse 14. Notice it says, But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It says, Also upon all these which exist, all the pieces of the fabric which exist, as a girdle, to complete things, put on love. That's what the word bond means. It's a girdle. That's, you know, how they used to put it. It says, it says John came out and he had a leather girdle around his sheepskin or camelskin clothes. Uh, and and uh, it's the love of God that binds everything together. All, all the characteristics that... God has in this fabric of righteousness for us are bound together by love. They're bound together by love. And uh, uh, it's very important uh, because Paul continues the image of the garment here and he's finishing it off. And if, if you know anything about those garments, I've seen them in the Middle East and uh, uh, if you don't have something bound, the wind's blowing it and you're trying to, but you have to have something to hold it all together, you see. And, and that's the way they were back then. And he says, the only thing that holds it together and all these parts are incomplete without love. Love is the most important thing. You see, we cannot, we cannot put it together without love. And past, Pastor Tony's been preaching on the superiority of love. And uh, it fits all the th these things. Uh, Alfred uh, has a Greek New Testament commentary. And he puts it like this. He says, this completes and keeps together all the rest. Which without it are but scattered parts of completeness. In other words, you can have a little bit of each fabric, but it's not a total garment until you bind it together with love. You bind it together with love. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8 says, Love is supreme. It never fails. It never fails. And so this whole business of togetherness 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 is part of the body of Christ I did a study uh, 
on my own once on the use of the term one another in in the New Testament and uh, I probably missed some but I, there were, it was used at least 55 times in the New Testament our one another relationships and out of those 55 times 12 of them were love one another love one another love one another and by the grace of God may he make us into a body and fellowship that loves one another because then then the completeness comes and then in the next phrase the peace comes in the body of Christ let's pray together Father, thank you for your word, for its truth. Thank you for all the provision you've made for us by choosing us. And I pray that even as I ask myself the question, we might ask ourselves the question, how am I doing with my garment? Have I got it bound together with love? Lord, teach us by your Spirit, God the Spirit, that we need to be bound together by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.